This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast with Andrew Jobling, author, speaker, educator, entrepreneur, and AFL player. Join Andrew as he continues his lifelong journey as a student of human behavior. This podcast will help you live your passion, explore your potential, step into your power, and embrace your possibilities. Your possibilities. Possibilities. Hello, Andrew Jobling, the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. I'm very excited to be here with you to share this week's conversation with Greg Elliott from Vancouver in Canada. He's doing some incredible stuff. This is such a great conversation. He's an osteopath. He's a kinesiologist. He's an exercise physiologist. He invests a lot of time in helping people in a very holistic way be as healthy as they can be. And he's come across a measure that's far better than heart rate. It's called heart rate variability. And it's an incredible measure of overall well-being. And we talk about how it works. We talk about some ways to improve your heart rate variability so that you can live a life of joyful longevity and love every moment, which is what it's all about. As you know, that's what I'm all about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this fabulous conversation with Greg Elliott. Greg, how are you? I am great, Andrew. How are you doing? Mate, I could not be better. It's a beautiful day here in Melbourne, Australia. Sun is shining. Spring is in the air. What's it like over there in Vancouver? Just all of a sudden hit fall. So it was uh, beautiful for so long. And now in typical Vancouver fashion, rain is pouring. Uh, well, that's what you get, hey? Yeah. One of the things about weather is you cannot control it. So there's no point complaining about it. No, and uh, people in Vancouver like to do that a lot. I tell you that much. It's very much the same here. Melbourne is the city in Australia. Any conversation that when you mention you're from Melbourne, the first thing people will say is, oh, yeah, I love Melbourne, but it's so cold. It's actually <laughs> not, but people that don't live here complain about it. So anyway, we're not here to complain. We're here to help people and inspire people and get them living their best life and be healthy and do cool stuff, aren't we? So mate, thank you. You've had a full day. You're uh, busy in your practice. Is that what you call it? Is it a practice? Yeah. With your clients, patients. How do you describe it? Yeah, I always call it my, uh, this is where I get to have fun. This is my playground for me. So this is Good. how I explain it to people. This is where I get to put all my research and all the readings that I do and actually be able to, to put it into practice to see what works and what doesn't. So yeah, to me, this is just my office. and, and Playground, I love it. It's not a workplace, it's a playground. I think what a yeah, wonderful absolutely. way to describe where you go every day. Because how many people go, oh my gosh, here I go, I'm off to work again. My workplace, it's so draining. It's Imagine if they just described it as a playground, how different they'd be when they actually presented. Oh, it's totally. And to me, it's, I do many different things and this is one of the things that I do. So this isn't purely my only source of income. And so from that standpoint, you know, I always try to make sure that I give value to people. And outside of this, I learn all sorts of things and be able to apply it. And I don't get run down by doing the same things all the time. I get to, you know, see about 10 to 15 people a week at, at maximum and be able to implement very high level, you know, be things very fresh all the time. It's not that kind of you know, rundown, mundane, cyclical, same thing over and over, a knee and knee, do this, do that. It's something always different every week that seems to be, be able to grow and change as something new is implemented. So Greg, tell us what is it that makes life for you so exciting? What is it that you're doing at the moment that you love and that makes going to your place of, I'm not going to say the word work, place of joy, what makes it so joyful for you? 
There's a few things. I think one of the things is I've always been interested in regards to outside the box. You know, I don't want to be able to fit into the status quo. I want to be able to always challenge the status quo of see, you know, this is the way things are done, but is there a way to be able to do it better? Is there a way to do it more yep. efficiently? Is there a way yep. for us to get a better understanding of what's actually going on, get into the deep root of things? So that curiosity allows that this to be the playground to be able to try things out and surrounding myself with practitioners that think the exact same way. Yep. You know, for here we have uh, medical doctors, naturopaths, massage therapists, physiotherapists, a bunch of different ty types of practitioners that all have that outside of the box thinking you don't come here. This isn't the, what you typically expect. And usually people, when they get referred to a, a place like this, they always go, just so you know, they typically don't do things that what you expect they would do. It's a little bit outside the box, a little bit arbitrary, but it works. And so yeah. we like that type of thing. We like to be different and be able to be able to challenge things. So what I get really excited about doing is challenge the way that things are done and seeing if there's a better way to do it. Well, that's such an interesting concept, and I'm right into that. In fact, I run an event called the Disruption Effect, and it's all about disrupting the status quo, exactly what you've been talking about. Because isn't it interesting, the way people consistently do things based on maybe societal values or the family expectation or whatever, it's not working. Because when you look at people, I know it's like in Vancouver, but certainly here in Australia, we see a lot of miserable people. They're not enjoying their life. They're not bouncing out of bed feeling like work is a playground. They're feeling like work is an absolute torture. They're not healthy. They're overweight. They're struggling. They're financially strapped. And they keep doing the same things, thinking, well, if I just keep working, all of a sudden everything's going to change and all of a sudden I'm going to be happy and healthy and financially abundant and wada, wada, wada. You've got to think outside the box. Like we can't keep doing the same things, expecting things to change. Oh, completely. And, and that's what the beauty of evolution in many different areas, the way the business is done, business that continuously evolve into different areas. And there's some things I think in, in medical systems and medical care and wellness and the grand scheme of things seems to be, you know, can be pretty stagnant in a lot of different areas and very resistant to change on a mass scale, you know, from the government run type of programming uh, that we see here. One of the jokes in Canada with Canadian doctors is the fact that it was, it was a Canadian doctor that made the joke. So it's, it's okay to be able to say, but what happens with the Canadian doctors is in school, you know, the first day of class, a medical doctor, a professor will walk in and he'll say, hello, class, and everyone will write it down. <laughs> right. And it's just, they get told and fed this information. You see that a lot with different practitioners is like when we want to hire people, like talk to people about, you know, working or that type of stuff too. If you, you tell me what's relatively in the textbook that you just read within your school, like I know you don't necessarily have that outside the box thinking or that growth yeah. type of mindset in regards to that. And it's very much to the point of like, this is the way that it is and, and follow this path. And this is the way, you know, you know, stay within your lane. Like this is safe and, and everything like that. And we see for sure that the way that things are going, the way that things are taught and you started with the U but now we're seeing that in every country where overall health and well-being with the current way that we're kind of dealing with healthcare is not working. Things are getting worse. We're getting more sedentary. We're yep. getting more overweight. We're getting yep. more chronic diseases. Yep. Our physical and mental state are declining the way that things are going. So we have to, as you said, be able to disrupt this system. So tell me, what are you doing to disrupt the system? Yeah, from our level of things, we really try to look at all the areas of health and well-being in that standpoint. You know, the way that it's done in Canada in particular, and it seems to be around the world, where health is dealt in silos. Everything's done within a specific framework, right? You kind of go to the endocrinologist for this specific thing or that. Like, it's the, we have these fine, you know, microscopes in regards to individual. And say for an osteopath like me, I may deal with manual therapy, and that's what I do. And, and yes, there's tools that can help individuals in certain areas. But I have a certain scope, I have a certain skill set that can benefit people, but I have a lot of limitations in regards to what I can possibly do. 
So how we're disrupting the system is that when people come to see us, see me in this clinic, I want to make sure that I interview the person and not the problem. Yep. So I don't necessarily see the person as left ACL. I see the person as Andrew. What are we going to do to help you as an individual that came in with a knee problem? So we look at you as, as a whole person and we assess you as a whole person. There are certain things you need to do based on the injury that you have, but lower back pain can come from many different reasons. Fatigue can come from many different reasons. And if, if I leave a stone unturned, I'm doing you a disservice. And so I surround myself with practitioners so we can assess individually all these different areas from truly a bio psycho social aspect and all of those aspects in life significantly improve our health and well-being. We know that our physical health is super important, how much we exercise, what we eat, you know, how much we sleep. But there's been obviously a big push over the last 10 to 15 years around our mental health and well-being and how that can negatively affect our health outcomes. And then what I'd like to say about COVID is COVID is a gigantic social experiment. As you start to remove the connection and love from everybody, what that does to our mental and physical well-being. None of these things can be ignored. And if they're not looked at individually for this person, be able to look at the whole picture in front of them and determine, as I say to my patients the very first time I see them, I want to make sure you're in the right room into what's going on. If not, we need to get you over to the right facilitator to help you move things along, be the catalyst and not the fixer for this individual. And I think that's kind of a collaboration of different practitioners from biological, physiological, psychological, emotional, mental, and social aspects. We have to have all these individuals, all these practitioners, and that narrative out there for individuals to truly become healthy and well. Yeah, that's wonderful what you're doing because it's so true, isn't it? And I know I've got a professional athletic background and you go with an injury and they treat the injury and the side of the injury is not necessarily the cause of the injury. Or you might go to a doctor with a headache and they prescribe a painkiller without really asking any questions about you and what's happening in your life, what stresses have you got, what's family history all this sort of stuff so important mate that's awesome that yeah, you're well, spending that the, time the to get to know i can tell around people that have had say chronic pain which is a physical symptom right which they would go get mris for x-rays give medications and things like that that have come from traumatic experiences you know it was interesting i was teaching a course and i had a bunch of personal trainers ask me they go okay well you know you deal with people with chronic pain all the time like how many of your chronic pain patients have an emotional component to their pain and i go 100% of them. And it was like shocking to them that that was my answer. But I'm like 100% of them, right? Even as close as my wife, when she lost her father, started developing this pain, right? And due to past traumatic experiences, it took an outside person, a colleague of mine, that recognized the fact that that undealt trauma that she had, that deal with the father who now passed, they can't deal with it anymore, has manifested into yeah. a pain. Physical that pain. wasn't recognized by the Western 100%. Right. And so that, I mean, that story has happened so many times in this, so many times. this office that we need to be able to kind of get that, those, those messages out there. And obviously your platform, what you're doing is part of that movement. hundred percent. Mate, let's have a quick break and come back. And this is a wonderful conversation that I'm really looking forward to diving into, but we'll have a quick break and we'll be back. How do you rate the most important things in your life? For many of us, long life and joy are high on the list. Important elements we can't buy, but the secret to attaining them is elusive and out of reach for many. Andrew Jobling has tackled these important questions in his book, The Wellness Puzzle, Living a Life of Joyful Longevity. Andrew solves the problem by teaching the seven pieces to optimal well-being. This is a must read. 
Find out more about The Wellness Puzzle and Andrew's other books at andrewjobling.com.au. Greg, my mind is buzzing right now because you've just got me excited. I'm vibrating here in Melbourne, Australia at the moment because, gosh, if people could get this, you said every physical pain or condition, there's an emotional trigger potentially or some kind of emotional connection to that pain. I say to people when we talk about health and well-being, because obviously my background's in this space as well, health and well-being fitness is 100% mindset. And people go, yeah, but what about exercise and what about nutrition? Yes, but you don't do anything that you don't first have a thought about or a feeling about. Like Everything starts in your brain. Every thought, every emotion then manifests itself into an action or, as you said, some kind of physical manifestation of that trauma or emotional feeling and a lot of the research now is showing that isn't it that our emotional state is having a very direct effect on our physical well-being and when you go and start dealing with the symptom and you forget about okay well where did it start from what's the foundation of it then you're missing the point hence so many people that get treated for disease that, that never fixes it well absolutely you know i always say the biggest risk factor to any type of chronic disease or illness development is going to be chronic stress, right? And chronic stress is our Dr. Hans Selye who came up with the term stress. Shout out to Canadian endocrinologist. Uh, he came up, uh, did some research at McGill over there in Montreal. But his famous quote, which I, I say a lot of my presentations, is it's not stress that kills us. It's our reaction to it. Yep. That is the piece of it all. And so, you know, you and I, Andrew, can go through very similar stressors, but how we deal with it is definitely going to determine our health outcomes and our overall well-being, how we process that, how we deal with it, whether it's exercise, whether it's nutrition, whether it's financial, whatever it is that it be. So the mindset is, is a gigantic key to our, our health. And that just comes back to our background, our experiences, our conditioning, where we're born, who we grow up with, what's said to us, our self-belief, our self-image, our self-worth, all these things determine how we respond to stress. There's some people that, as you know, get right. Let's find a solution. Let's get through this. What's the positive? What can I get better at? How can I learn from this? And the others that spiral into this victim mindset and, oh, it's not fair. Why me? And that creates even more stress because of that, isn't it? So yeah, I recently cool. did a podcast with a girl in the US who was hit by a drunk driver, got an acquired brain injury, and she talks about post-traumatic growth. And again, that's just how we respond to stress. Yeah. You know, the longer the problems go on and the longer the stress is there, obviously people get into these, you know, these ruts and it's much harder to get out of going through a personally right now, going through a family experience with my brother-in-law, having this thing where it's this deep-rooted trauma that's been building over years and years and years. And that is now manifesting into a, a much larger problem. And it's one of those things where, you know, people that go through these type of scenarios where they, they go off and they do some, some not so good things and you try to be able to bring them back and they get, okay, I'm out of it. I'm good. I'm good to go. I'm fine now. It's never going to happen again. And I kind of use them like, okay, well, like, think about it this way. Okay. Say like your goal is to get fit. Okay. You want it mentally well. Okay. Your goal is to get fit. You do exercise, you do various things, you get fit. Okay. You go, perfect. I reached what I was supposed to be able to get to. Do you just stop then? No, you have to maintain that level of fitness. You got to maintain that mental of clarity and be able to be there. You can't just be like, oh, I'm good. I'm fine. Okay. I can just go back to what I was doing before all this. And then it's just going to, that cycle is going to, and the longer that happens, it's more ingrained that that's necessarily going to happen these individuals. And so I'm with you 100% on that stuff. It frames everything that we do. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Greg, one of the things you do is you've sort of really disrupted this whole process of using heart rate 
as a indicator or as a vital sign for well-being and you've sort of shifted into heart rate variability so i want you to explain the difference tell us the evolution of how this came about and how you really started to look at this from a different perspective and why you're so excited about it yeah well, so i first got introduced to heart rate variability during my master's degree in exercise physiology where I was looking at non-invasive ways of measuring heart function, and this is my master's thesis. And so I was uh, during my research, I was looking at various ways that we can measure clinically heart function and got introduced to something called heart rate variability. And at the time, I was researching devices that had to do around exercise, you know, exercise capacity. And so it, it, I researched it, did some work on it. It wasn't necessarily into my paper, but I got introduced to it from there. And when I left there, I got intrigued by this statistic. And so the difference between heart rate and heart rate variability is heart rate is very familiar, 60 beats per minute, 90 beats per minute, we get that, was actually significantly more important. And when we talk about stress management and understanding our physiological stress levels, how are we dealing with our stress? How are we dealing with our environment? Are we doing the right things? Are we doing the right behaviors? Are we living a healthy and well life? Is heart rate variability is a much better reflective of that specific state. So heart rate is 60 beats per minute. Heart rate variability looks at the frequency of which those beats occur. So say, Andrew, you and I, we have 60 beats per minute when we rest, right? We wake up, we do our heart rate, it's 60 beats per minute. Mine beats like a metronome. It's on the second, every second, super consistent. Yours goes up and down, up to 70, down to 50 on average, that type of stuff. But over that time frame, you and I average Average 60. is 60, yep. What research shows is that you are in a healthier, happier state than I am. Wow. Which is very counterintuitive to what people think, because we think of health as homeostasis. Right? We think of, we maintain a stable environment. When something comes in, we don't react to it. We, everything should be relatively stable. But we know now that this is a reflective of our autonomic nervous system. So when our system is stressed, we're in our sympathetic state, our fight or flight state, right? This is when, as we, everyone uh, explains, that we're running away from a, a lion or, you know, as we do now where we're having to give a presentation or we get a bill or get a piece of bad news or whatever, maybe our body's in a stressed state. Our heart rate beats more consistently. We're in a healthy state, parasympathetic, rest and digest. Our heart rate is more varied. Isn't that interesting? So as more stressors in life come in now with all these different things, as we understand now world news and social media content and bills and you know all the marketing content, we got to buy these things. So all this pressure that's on us now in with all the stuff as well as trying to be able to survive and thrive and deal with families and family members and kids and all those things that we already had to deal with is that we are more sympathetically dominant now. And so HRV is reflective of that specific state. And so we use this technology in our clinic and I use this and have been educating this for almost a decade now of people to understand this specific biometric. It's a little bit mind blowing really. It just sounds so counterintuitive, doesn't it? That if you're stressed and you're reacting to the stresses that your heart rate would change. Well, it's it would go up and down and up and down. But the, you're, what you're saying is when we're in a stressed state, our heart rate is more stable. It is. When it's we're more right? relaxed, more peaceful, more joyful in that state of gratitude, that's when our heart rate is variable. Why is that so? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a little bit sciencey. Uh, so there'll be some yeah. terms you may, you may need to look up, but we'll go through it. So again, it's more that parasympathetic and sympathetic activation. So when our sympathetic nervous system is active, the main nerve that deals with that is something called the vagus nerve. It controls primarily our braking system, our body to be able to slow down. When our vagus nerve, our vagal tone is high and activated, it actually causes variability of our heart rate. It goes up and it goes down. When that vagal tone is removed, which is means the fact that our body's now able to try to deal with the sympathetic state, it removes that variability and becomes more consistent. 
Now, the reason why HRV is better than heart rate at this specific time is heart rate looks at more like, you know, chronic stuff, right? If you exercise aerobically for a long period of time, you may be able to decrease your heart beats by, you know, three beats. But typically, you're pretty in a pretty normal range when it comes to uh, your heart rate in your morning time. HRV is significantly more sensitive. It's more sensitive to daily changes of diet, of exercise, of sleep patterns, of work stress or family stress. It's more sensitive and picks up those a little bit more. So we start to see those fluctuations more than just heart rate. And to me, it's one of the most important longevity health span biomarkers for many different reasons. One is the fact that it's super accessible now. For $99 on a Fitbit, you can get it, right? Okay. Out of these wearable devices. Yeah. So on your Fitbit, it actually tells you your heart rate variability. It does, yeah. So it, it primarily, it measures it nocturnally through the night. There's too much context during the day. So what it does, it takes a bunch of metrics through the night and kind of gives you a nighttime average. And what is it? Is it number? Has it measured? Yeah, so it's the technology is it's through a, a light uh, technology called PPG uh, sensors. And so it's a light-based technology, very similar to like pulse ox things you get into the hospital where they look at your oxygen levels of your, of your heart. Same technology, it's in that, but it's on your, your wrist. And so Fitbits have it now. You can measure HRV. Apple Watches, and then there's the higher quality devices like the, the Aura Rings, the BioStraps, and these depths of wearable that are a little more uh, scientifically credible from there, but a bunch of wearables are, are doing this now. And what does it actually tell you? What's the number? Is there a range? So, Is it a heart rate? When you look at your heart HRV, you go, okay, cool, that's in a good range. What does that look like? So for a long period of time, it was not known what specific statistic should be measured. When you look at the past literature, there's so much statistics that are reported in regards to what's going on. So the one number that 99% of wearables show and almost every single research study from the 2000s on has shown is a specific statistic called the root mean square of successive differences. So in shorthand, it's RMSSD. And don't ask me to recite that. I'm not having done repeat that, mate. I'm confused enough. So, But that's the one is RMSSD. And that's just the root of the mean of the differences between the, the heartbeats. And so that's a statistic. And to give you an idea of numbers that seem to be in a general sense, so a younger fit individual that has no kind of health issues, you're typically looking at a number around 80 milliseconds is kind of like the, the statistic of the root mean square of sense. About 80 seems to be good. So that's healthy. As we get older, when you get into the probably older age, but if you're relatively healthy still, you probably get into the 40s and 50s. So that's kind of the range of a healthy individual over the time frame. From there, anything abnormal. I see people typically, I have people that are chronic fatigue syndrome, chronic pain, fibromyalgia, those type of issues. They're typically come to me. I just had a, I just had a report done this morning on an individual of the last 10 nights and his score was 15 and he was a 40 year old fit individual. Wow. So uh, you start to see the ranges of what's going on, but that, that's a general. Okay. So you see this number, you see this guy who's now got 15 on his HRV, yep. root mean squared, hyperbolic curve, whatever that might be. So what do you then say to this individual? And obviously his goal is to get up to around 40. Yeah, exactly. So how does yeah. he then go about doing that? And this is where the HRVs had a big problem, which is what we're trying to be able to solve, is that everything impacts our stress levels. So everything impacts HRV. The amount of exercise that we do or don't do, the nutrition habits that we have, our sleep behaviors and sleep quality, our interception, our emotional regulation, our self-acceptance and purpose, our agency, our connection of relationships with other individuals, all of those things will significantly impact our heart rate variability. So the assessment now becomes a super important aspect of 
which area of our health and well-being needs to be addressed more than others. And this is where we dive deep into each of those to figure out what do we need to do, which area of your health is less efficient than the others. So really, you're just trying to get people to shift out of sympathetic into parasympathetic nervous system. And there's so many ways that we can do that, as you said. And you mentioned right at the start, you get to know all of your patients, you understand cross-section of their lives of different aspects of their life. So you would have, I guess, already some gauge of where they should start, whether it's nutrition, whether it's emotional regulation, whatever it might be. And then you could give some people some pretty good ideas of where to start. And this is the thing where it's different where you become, where you become a researcher and a practitioner, right? Because a researcher would go, I need to objectively measure these things, create a centralized model to be able to look at them across the board and be able to prescribe exactly what they need based on their deficiencies. But you're dealing with people. They may not want to work on those areas. They yeah. may not find the value to those areas. As you talk to them, you may pick up verbal or nonverbal cues as to, hey, maybe let's dive into this a little bit more than we think, right? Even if they may score, because some of these scores are for subjective. And we've had it a few times where people answer the questions the way that they think they should be answering the questions. Yes, of course. Right? So this is the importance of- The things they don't want to change are always okay. No, that's a good, I'm fine in that area of my life. Don't need to discuss that. Yeah. And so in the, if you objectively couldn't point, oh, they must be fine in that area if they just do the assessment without having the individual in front of you and, be, and talking to them about what's going on. Do they change their posture? Yeah. Do they all of a sudden look away from you and break eye contact? Do they have some sort of cues or verbal cues? Or as you talk about being very short with certain questions comparatively to others, you start to look at those areas and then you start to be able to figure out, okay, let's have the objective. Let's have my subjective experience in regards to history taking and let's start to meld those together and be able to come up with a plan for this individual. Sounds interesting, mate. Dealing with people is always a experience oh. because you can see, I'm not sure you look at their numbers and you know exactly what they need to do, but then trying to convince them to do it. I've spent decades of my life trying to convince people to look after themselves, but at the end of the day, that's not my job, but that's their job. But you've got to help them get to that point. Totally. And that's the thing is, you know, sometimes with practitioners, you think you're the role of the fixer, right? And it's not like no. you, you facilitate, no. you, yeah. you're a catalyst. You're Absolutely. able to provide that spark. Your job is really just to get them thinking about things maybe they haven't thought about or just to see things from a different perspective. That's the biggest intervention that I found in regards to when people start measuring their HRVs, we start doing these assessments, start going through that. Biggest intervention that I've found to work is awareness. Absolutely. Anyway, I think, Greg, we might have another quick break and then come back and finish off. This is a wonderful conversation. Hopefully people are getting a lot out of it. I know I certainly am. So we'll be back shortly. Everyone has a book inside us waiting to be written and Adri Jobling can unleash the hidden author in you. Have you ever wanted to become a successful author and impact many lives? Andrew will support, guide and mentor you through the entire process and help you leave your legacy for the world. Contact Andrew for a free 30-minute chat about the influence you want and can have. Go to andrewjobling.com.au to find the author in you. I'm loving this conversation, Greg. And one of the things that I've sort of recently realized, and this conversation is sort of reinforcing it, there are so many things that people measure. You go to the doctor, they'll measure your blood pressure, they'll measure your triglycerides, they'll measure your heart rate, they'll measure your blood pressure and all these things, and they'll come up with this, I guess, assessment of your well-being and also a predictor of future health and well-being. This is how I would measure someone's 
longevity or maybe where their health is heading is how they wake up in the morning. And I say this to people when I speak and when I talk, if you wake up in the morning and you wake up and your eyes open and you go, yes, I can't wait. I'm off to my playground today. I'm off to do great work. I'm going to inspire people. I cannot wait to get into the day. To me, that's a far better indicator of your longevity and your prospective health and well-being than your triglycerides, your blood pressure in that moment. If you wake up in the morning and it's, oh my gosh, another day, I just don't want to get out of bed and immediately there's stress, there's anxiety, there's fear. And that's going to be the greatest, I believe, impact of your health and well-being because not only that feeling, but then hit snooze 12 times and then you're running late and then you skip breakfast and you grab the coffee and then you eat the processed food throughout the day and you're irritable and you're cranky and people annoy you and wah, wah, wah. To me, that's the greatest indicator of your well-being. Forget about all the numbers. Even the HRV is a great number, but I think most people, if they're being honest, would tell you a pretty close estimate what their HRV number would be based on their age and based on their lifestyle. And if they were being honest with themselves, I think I could probably give you a pretty accurate idea of what my number would be based on my life and how I feel. And I wonder if there are people right now sitting there squirming in their seats a little bit going, we're kidding ourselves a little bit. We're pretending to be healthy because I get up and exercise every day, but I'm moody, I'm cranky, I feel a lot of anxiety. There are times I'm skipping meals. There are times I'm making wrong choices. But I exercise every morning and I had a salad for dinner, so therefore I'm healthy. And I think it's time for people to just look a bit deeper. That awareness piece, I think, is the key one. And that's the thing is I think you know people that are very self-aware, very interceptive in regards to what's going on, they absolutely can do that. They can be able to tell, like, I know it's not going to be very good. Like, I know I did this and that, or I know it's going to be good, or they're very interceptive. But I'd say, to me, it's chronic pain space and kind of, you know, where I'm at in, in downtown Vancouver is we have a lot of people that are just very disconnected from themselves and their feelings of what they should be doing, right? And I think they have a false perception of where they're actually at. And so this is where the benefit of some of this data can come in. But I completely agree with you when you talk about, and sometimes you have a hard time cracking that egg with an individual, especially with, you know, say, high-powered businessmen that don't necessarily want to talk. That all stress is fine. Home's great. I don't deal with it. I feel like a million bucks and that type of stuff. But if they may not be able to talk that side. And I can't remember who said this. And I'm going to kind of butcher the quote, but it's along the lines of, if you can't get someone to talk about their life or their emotions, ask how their sleep is. Because then it's just like, oh, it's terrible. Like, yeah, hard time falls. Yeah, wake up, you're pretty tired. And they'll kind of open up. And it's like, well, why is that a little bit more? And you're completely right. Like with your approach of diving into someone's sleep, you tell a significant amount of that individual. Yeah, so true. So, Greg, people have heard this stuff before. And at the risk of telling people stuff they already know, how do we help people that are, well, firstly, with the awareness piece, like, because I think there are people that kid themselves. And I think the biggest issue, and the graveyards are full of people who kidded themselves into their grave. In Australia, it's, she'll be right, mate. That's the saying. Oh, no, I'm okay. She'll be right, mate. I'm sure in Canada, there's a saying too. We just head in the sand. I'm okay. So I think that self-awareness piece is the most important. So let's start there. How do you help people? And what do you say to people listening and I'm sure the people listening to this podcast, many of them are already quite self-aware, but they live with or know people that are not. How do we help people find this self-awareness? What would be some strategies? 
Yeah, and that's one of the things from individual level, again, a part of that playground aspect of it all is how do we bridge that conversation? How do we kind of open that conversation from one individual to the next around awareness of their kind of their whole health and well-being, where they're limiting in regards to, you know, their mental health, their social health and, and, and those areas. It is a super difficult bridge the gap because you know and it may be just the the clientele that i deal with but i have a lot of people that have these perceived walls up and they don't want to feel like they're weak or they're vulnerable right and so it takes some time and uh, some pieces one of the biggest things for these individuals that i found to work is going to be around the education piece of that getting the message out again very similar to what the purpose of this is is getting the message out there to the masses as much as we possibly can about we're on the wrong trajectory for my health and well-being Right. We can't just solely look at, you know, medications and, and medical solutions and, and to be able to deal with health. There's many other areas that I think that people aren't exploring to be able to get to that area. And so to me, that's one of those things is the education piece. But I'm actually going to throw this back at you. I think Good. It's, it's, I Do think it. You can teach a lot of people and even me about what are some things that yeah. would be of benefit to make people more self-aware. Of, of yeah. Yeah. Well, so you're flipping it on me. I love it the first time anyone's turned the tables. But it's actually interesting because as you were talking and what you're saying is so spot on, and you're right, when you're sitting with someone, it's very hard sometimes to get them to agree because they don't want to be seen as in trouble. Men particularly, I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be seen as sick. I don't want to be seen as reliant or any of those things. First step, man, is get over that and be vulnerable. That's what I would say to them. But this is a question I ask people. And I say, look, go away and think about this. You don't have to answer right now. But you've got to be honest with yourself. So the only thing I would say, are you ready and willing to be honest with yourself? And they'll say yes, whether they do or not is another thing. Go away and think about your habits in different areas of your life, the way you think, the way you wake up, the way you talk to people, the moods you have, the food you eat, the exercise you do the habits that you have around caffeine or smoking or whatever. And I want you to think if you continue with those actions, those habits, what will your life look like in the next five, 10 or so years? And if they're a parent, I'd say I would ask you to think about if your children did what you do, would you be happy about that for them? And I'll say, don't answer me now. Go away and you think about that. And if you come to the conclusion that things need to change and you're willing for that, come back and let's chat. Because I think you've got to get people honest. People are just not honest with themselves. And I know me, I'm the same. A lot of my life, I've just pushed through. I'll be right. She'll be right, mate. No, it's okay. I don't need to worry about that. And I found myself in debt. I found myself divorced. I found myself in all sorts of situations simply because of lack of self-awareness. And I never stopped to really think about the consequences of the choices I was making on a day-to-day basis. And the thing I love, Greg, is that I know that if the choices I'm making today are letting me down a path of poor health or broken relationships or financial stress, I know that I can make different choices today. And that excites me that I can do something different today and I can start on a different path this second. And that's sort of where I'm at with a lot of people. Yeah, now you're saying that it kind of, one of the things for sure that I see when people have wearables and this kind of feedback, especially with conditions that are not measurable, really chronic pain is not objectively measurable, right? Fatigue levels, these type of things. There's not a blood marker or a t- medical task that can diagnose these things. And so when people get these wearables and when they start doing changes in their habits, right? Whether it's physical habits, whether it's uh, emotional awareness, ha- any of these type of social habits, if these things habits change and their numbers change, they start to be able to see if like, hey, my HRV improved, my heart rate goes down, my REM sleep goes up. 
that agency aspect of the, over their health. And like, kind of go, I actually have a lot of control over what I'm going to be later on in life, what my life is going to look like later, that agency in people, if you can yep. give them that, yes. oh man, you see that mentality change when you see people, right? When people walk in with their head down and kind of like a neutral mood and they come in with a smile on their face and they kind of say like, and again, it's not like I have some magic bag of tricks that I help people with. It's to the point, again, at facilitating that and educating around, you have so much power. Well, it's you. giving them power. It's helping them see they are in control. And that they can change in a moment. They can make a decision this second. And the second you think about what you can do, it's empowering, it's uplifting, it's energizing. Like in a heartbeat, yep. it can change. It Super quick. As soon as you start to see if I can do small little things sometimes and make a massive difference into certain things, especially with conditions like chronic pain, chronic fatigue, these functional type of illnesses that don't have a lot of objective feedback with regards to progress. It is yeah. such a life-changing tool. We had, I love we had an individual that had fibromyalgia and she did every pain thing under the sun. That was research studies and this program and that program and everything under that. And we got her on a wearable to, to measure her HRV in, in whatever coping mechanisms was alcohol. And she's like, I know it's not good, but it helps me cope with the pain. She started using a wearable and when she started to drink, she saw her HRV go from about 40, 45 to 12. Wow. And she goes, I didn't know it had this much impact. Yeah. I knew it had an impact. I didn't know it was this big. Since October 31st of last year, she hasn't had a drink. That's awesome. So in that change and having the conversation with her, she goes, like, this has been just, I've half my pain medication, like all these things in regards to just simple of seeing some sort of number change. Right. And, and understanding the impact of those values. And again, it's about an empowerment. It's at that agency. She has a lot of control over her health. And everyone does, which I love. I love. I love. So that sounds like a very important number for people that want to be able to measure their HRV. So tell us again how they do it. You mentioned there's Fitbits that can measure HRV and Apple Watches and that kind of thing. What's the best place for people to go? Yeah. So for regular consumers outside of the medical aspect, there's two major ways to be able to do that. One is going to be wearable products. Fitbit is one of them. Oura Ring is the one that I use. These guys, they're out of Finland. Okay. They're a great little ring device. It sits on your finger. High quality uh, information coming out of that. There's also a company called Biostrap. There's Whoop Bands. There's tons of wearables out there. Uh, you'll just see that if they capture the HRV metrics. So that's one way, right? And sometimes it's a little costly. Your know, Fitbit is, is a little bit cheaper, but there are free mobile applications. You can actually do it or very inexpensive ones. I know Marco Altini, he has HRV for training. It's a mobile application that uses your camera on your phone and you can put your finger onto the camera okay. and you can get an HRV measurement. You do it every So what's morning. it called? HRV for training. HRV, the number four training. Okay. Yeah. And if people have like a polar heart rate strap or some sort of heart monitor that can pair with their phone, you can get elite HRV, E-L- ITE HRV. That's a free app that you can download, pair your wearable device with it, and you can get your measurement on demand whenever you need. I know Jason Moore, the founder of that company, me and him educated a lot of his user base around heart rate variability. You have a HRV course with that to understand a little bit more about it all, but those are two cheaper options that people want to be able to get started. That's awesome, mate. That's so good. I'm downloading that app as soon as we finish talking. So, Greg, how do people find you if they want to reach out, want to chat, want to talk, want to get some more specific 
details about how they improve their HRV, how they improve their life, how they live an amazing life where every day is a playground. How do they reach yeah, you? Yeah, so people always said I got to be able to do this. I just kind of launched a, a personal website. It's gregelliot.ca. This is where I kind of do consultations and some coaching individuals around HRV. I don't take a lot on uh, people. I'll do kind of an intro call to see if I'm the right fit. I have certain skill sets again around what's going on, but there's certain interventions or certain aspects of heart rate variability or health and well-being that I can refer out uh, to there. So I kind of do a consultation, quick one to see if I'm the right person for them from there. And then if you have a wearable device, a startup company, it's called Your Health QB. So yourhealthqb.com, it's a free app that you can download if you have a wearable device that pairs with us. We started with BioStraps, one company. We've integrated with Oura Ring. We've now integrated with Fitbit, and we're going to keep going on with these different wearables. And what we do is we provide a 10-factor biopsychosocial assessment of our well-being, looking at 10 major factors that impact your health that are within your control. Awesome. We assess these those areas, provide a standardized assessment back to you, and then give you some tips and some app, some practitioners uh, areas that can help in that specific area. And so that's uh, another kind of free resource that people can utilize as of right now. Wonderful. Greg, thank you so much for your time, mate. It's been an awesome conversation. You've had a good day. Now you get to go home and go to your other playground at home and hang out with your family. Oh, yeah. Excited to see my kids. My son just started kindergarten, so uh, uh, super excited. And Andrew, thank you. I know you've taken time out of your day to be able to do this. And I know it's a lot of work. You're doing a phenomenal job. So thank I, you. I really appreciate you doing this and try to get the word out around health well-being. Keep it up. Thank you. Good on you. Thanks, Greg. What a wonderful conversation with Greg Elliott that was. And so important. My gosh, please share this with as many people as you can. That HRV number is the number to worry about. Of all the other vital signs you can worry about, that seems to be the number. So whatever you can do, find something that will measure it, test it, and then get some strategies to change it if you need to change it. And if you would like to speak to Greg, go to his website, gregelliot.ca, and you can click on the Let's Talk link and set up a discovery session with him. Absolutely worth having a chat to him and seeing how he can help you be as healthy as possible and live your best life. Thanks for being with me this week. Another fabulous week. I'll definitely be back next week. Hope you'll be with me. Hope you are loving your life and keep doing it. My name's Andrew Jobling. This is the Wellness Puzzle Podcast. Bye.